0: So, first thing, first question, Um, are you one of those people who don't really get romance? I know there's some in here that don't. Are you someone who doesn't relate to, like, love poems and things as such, love songs, can't cope with lovey-dovey stuff? Yeah, Adam. Oh, Adam, hey. Oh, man, the stories he could tell you about how he doesn't get it. (laughs) um no but seriously he doesn't get it um yeah no i wouldn't say i'm necessarily one of those people heaps hectically like i i don't know i think i kind of get it it's all right i'm not against it but when it comes to relating to god and loving god this kind of display of love hasn't sat right with me necessarily my whole christian walk um I'm kind of a bit sceptical of it. It seems a bit floaty-floaty, and I've had heaps of mates in school that seem like they're really in love with God in this kind of way, and then they're just not um, a couple of years down the track. So I'm a bit sceptical, and I'm wondering if you experience this kind of same thing. You read Psalms, and you're like, oh, cool. Um, don't heaps relate with that. But um, it's really not the case. It's not just for people like Hazy who are like, woo and stuff like that. Um, like, yeah, I I don't know, I can't do that, so I won't do that today. Um, but it's not like that, it's not the case. Psalms is for everyone, there's stuff in here. Uh, We're going to listen to what the Bible has to say about uh, this kind of stuff, figure out why David feels the way he does, and we'll see if this is floaty, floaty, lovey-dovey, or if it's solid and awesome stuff that we can actually use for ourselves and relate to. So before we start um, digging into context, we see in the first like little title, Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. So um, we've got David in the desert. Pretty straightforward. Uh, verse 9, we've got someone's after him trying to kill him. It says, they who seek my life. Right? We keep reading verse 11, and it says the king. So we learn that David is king at this stage. So summarize it all. King David getting chased into the desert, chased by people who want to kill him. Um, now that description matches up with something in 2 Samuel 15, if you want to write that down and chase it up later, 2 Samuel 15, um, where David's son Absalom leads a rebellion against him uh, for the throne, and as a result, David's like driven out of the city. Right? I reckon this context is mega important uh, because we learn that uh, whatever David wrote in this psalm, he wrote under a lot of hardship. Like getting chased into a desert. I don't know. trying to imagine this. It'd be so hard. Have you ever tried running on sand? It's like the hardest thing in the world. You'd just be like, oh, what? And there's not heaps of places to hide. True story. Um, it's a desert. Like the only thing I can, the only place I can think of hiding in like comes once in a blue moon. And it's only good if you can like hide like this for prolonged periods of time. And it's pretty obvious. But... Um, Yeah, that was a cactus. Is that all right? No. Um, But seriously, it's mega hard for him. It'd be hot. um, It's dry. There's no water. It's lonely. Seems never-ending. It certainly isn't living as a king in a city on a throne, which is what he's used to. Um, To make matters worse, it's his son, Absalom. So he's getting chased out by his family. There's no even retreat to his family, no safe haven for him. So that's the context of the psalm. Let's get into it. First thing I want you to notice is that David knows God. So if you know God, you can relate to this because David does. Check it out. Opening words, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Um, so the psalm isn't written by someone who doesn't know God. Uh, it's quite the opposite. David knows God really well and immediately starts by affirming that detail. That kind of language, those first few words seem insignificant. And I think the first couple of times I read it, I just kind of skimmed over it like, just seems like a classic start to a psalm. Oh God, you are my God. And now we'll start reading and listening. But it's actually a really significant statement based on the history of God's people. So do a really quick flip to Genesis 1. No, Genesis 17. Go. Oh, I'm just getting carried away with the beginning of the Bible, you know. (coughs) So... Now, this has to be quick, so I'm just going to start reading it when I get it. So here we go. I've got it, everyone, so I'm going to start reading. So it says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. You can flick back. Right. So what we have in that verse is that God makes a promise that he will be their God it's a covenantal promise and covenantal just means like a binding promise. So it's a binding promise made by God and God doesn't lie. So when David says you are my God, he refers back to this like solid hope uh, that we find and knowledge that he is God's and God has promised to be his as well. So it's like, I try to think of someone married in this room and I just got John A. Max as well. But let's go John A. hey, another one. All right, Um, it's like John O. writing a letter to Lyndall, starting with the words, Oh, Lyndall, you are my wife, all right? It's pretty, yeah, anyways. I don't know what husbands think, but that's probably what they're thinking. Um, And from that, we know the significance of that statement. It's not like, I don't know, it's a little bit, it's got heaps more depth to it than just like, Dear Lyndall, Um, because we know that John O's has promised himself to her, and her to him, and that's like a powerful way of saying, I really know you, and a really cool way of starting a letter, right? So try that one in the future. So it's important to notice, because it's the baseline of this psalm, it overarches everything that we're going to look at. Um, So from this rock solid covenantal relationship with God, we're married to him, David talks about thirsting for God, being satisfied in him, and rejoicing in him. Um, you might think, what? Thirsting for God? Don't, you don't thirst for your wife? You've got her. You've got God. Uh, that's a good question and hopefully gets answered. I reckon this is broken up into three sections. If you, kinda, you can kind of see it. Verses 1 to 4, um, David talks about thirsting for God. I've called it, we all need God. Um, verses 5 to 8, God satisfies. And verses 9 to 11, we rejoice in God. So that's kind of what we'll be tackling. So the first thing psalm teaches us is that we all need God Um, so we've already established, just established that David is God God is David's Um, so why does he thirst he thirsts because he's cut off from God, check it out verse 1 says um, down to halfway through my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water so he's driven from his home into the desert also verse 2 I've seen you in the sanctuary. Notice it's written in past tense. I have seen. Um, So when David's driven from the city by his son, he's also driven away from the temple that's there, uh, where he would go to worship God. So it's a little bit different to how we interact with God now. Temple curtain torn in two, if you know that, um, in the temple. God's everywhere. He's not just dwelling in one place. He's everywhere anyway. But... Um, that's what Jesus has achieved for us. We worship God everywhere and everything. But David worshipped God at the temple. So when he's cut off from the city, he's cut off from the temple, and he's cut off from worshipping God. And that's why he thirsts. Does that make sense? Cool. Um, so next thing to notice, David thirsts for God. It's written all over the place. Verse 1, it's just like, you, 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 seek you, da 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 All addressed to God. So remember the context and circumstances of David writing this. Uh, he's in Suffering City in the desert, city desert of suffering. Um, and do you see him hating God in first verse? Like you, you could kind of imagine him suffering, going to write a psalm, and he starts with like, oh, God, you suck. But then he kind of like makes amends at the end. That isn't the way it is at all. I reckon you'd expect it. I'd probably do it. You'd probably do it. Um, David doesn't. Or maybe a more likely and easier thing to relate to, instead of um, kind of hating on God, yearning for God to get him out of that, yearning for God to give him water, yearning for God to get him out of his hard times. So that way it's kind of focused at God, but kind of at what God can give him. Um, But he doesn't do that. He thirsts for God. Um, So it says, seek you, thirst for you. My soul longs for you kind of stuff not the stuff that God could give him. It's pretty important. Um, What does thirst imply? Um, When you thirst for something, you want it heaps bad, you get your hands on it, and you want to quench your thirst. We pretty much use this. My throat is thirsty, which it actually is at the moment. Ironic. Not really ironic. Um, Right, so we thirst. Oh, I need water. I thirst for water. I need to seek water to quench my thirst. It's like that, except God is thirsting for... Oh, David is thirsting for God and quenches his thirst with God. He seeks God. So he's just seeking God, seeking God, seeking God. Uh, how can we apply this kind of stuff? Put yourself in the position of losing everything, if you can, in your mind's eye. What would you thirst for above all things? Now, if you answer this truthfully and not just what you think the right answer is, you can actually learn a lot about yourself and your relationship with God. Do you thirst for God as David does, even when times are tough, in good and bad? Um, When times get you down, when sin has a few winds over you, does your relationship with God fade, like we looked at fat? Do you drift? Or do you point towards and seek God in those kinds of times? It's a pretty big question. And we're going to look at now how David... Thirst for God. So where does this thirst, this devotion, this what seems like lovey-dovey stuff, where does it come from? Is it solid or is it up in there and we can't apply it? Um, I think Hazy, like, he talked about this a bit last week. He thirsts by remembering and reminding himself. Verse 1, he says, you are my God. Uh, verse 3 says, "Your steadfast love. So he's reminding himself of these things. God's covenant promises. Um, so the thirst just comes from knowing God's promises, right? Remembering them. This gets David through his suffering times, through the desert, by remembering and reflecting on, reminding himself of all these things. So when I did my HSC, um, which is like heaps long ago, I realise today, and um, yeah, I've pretty much gone through high school again since then. Um, Yeah, so going through the HSC, my parents promised I'm going to go to Canada skiing after the HSC. It's a pretty good promise. It's sick. So they started planning it, and I was like, oh, man, this is totally going to get me through the HSC. Whenever I'm down studying, which happened all the time, um, I just kind of remembered, yeah, sick. This is going to be over. It's only like one more month to go. And then after that, I get schoolies, and I get to go to Canada. So it kind of gets you through. You see how that works? Just as David remembered God's promises to him, we remember God's promises to us, which means you need to know what they are. I'm hoping most of you know uh, what God's promises are and what that means for you, but there's probably some of you who don't heaps know or can't list them off. So you need to know them, you need to remember them, you need to memorize them so you can call on them. Um, So through what Jesus has done, we're saved, guaranteed. Our sins have been taken the furthest distance away from us and we have relationship with God and can spend eternity in his presence. That's the kind of stuff you need to remember. Um, not only does David know this stuff but he reminds himself. Um, verse 3, your steadfast love is better than life. Better than life, pretty heavy words um, because life is everything we know. So better than life is pretty big. Um, whatever you can't take with you when you die is what life includes. And I think people kind of use it in a figurative speech kind of thing. Like I have friends that went to Europe straight after school and they came back and they're like, Europe was better than life. I'm like, really? I'm pretty sure it's just like old buildings and people with different languages. But um, <laughs> just kind of amusing, I guess. But if it's that good, just use your life to save up and go there for a year. It's, like, it's not worth life. I'll give you a ticket and you die. Have fun with it. Um, or, let's go with the nerdiest side so we, we get everyone in the room. Um, Xbox, better than life. This game is the best. What is up? I'll just give you the game and you're dead and you can't play it anyway, so it's pointless. It's not better than life. Um, so, by focusing on God, David gets through his suffering by reminding himself. Um, He constantly refocuses, fixes his eyes on God. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We learn it at Fat, Hebrews. That's what it's all about. Um, Jesus is better. So, is God better than life for you? Or is there stuff in life that you make better than God? We looked at idolatry at Fat, um, which is worshipping something that isn't God, putting it first above God. So how can we find out if we are worshipping something more than God? I reckon a really practical way of doing this is following the trail of energy, time, money and thoughts. So, hands up if you like surfing. Sick, not many, I love that. Alright, hands up if you like Xbox. Okay, good. Hands up if you like music. Yes, I knew that one would win. That's so good. Alright, so we all like music. So let's have a think about it. No, no one likes booty. They just play it because they feel like they have to. Um, Anyways, energy. Energy with music. Yeah, that applies. Anyway, time. Like, you spend time listening to music. You spend time going to shows. You spend time learning music, instruments. um, This kind of stuff. Money. You buy instruments. You spend money on shows. You spend money on CDs. uh, Thoughts. People chuck places up. They're always thinking about it. They're always loving on it, right? Is music something that is an idol to you that you'd put above everything else that you thirst for more than God? You've got to consciously make a decision every day, uh, I believe, a couple of times a day. Just do it all the time. Why not? Um, That God is better than this. God is better than that. God's number one. Because worship of God dictates everything you do. Check out verse 4. So I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Um, yeah, David is encapsulated by worshipping God in everything. So we've seen that we all need God. Second thing we learn from this psalm is that God satisfies. Here we see that God actually quenches the thirst. Um, so verse 5, my soul will be satisfied. Notice the contrast of the first section. Use the same words. Verse 1. Um, My soul thirsts, verse five. my soul will be satisfied. Notice the language of satisfaction with the richest foods, or some translations are like foods with heaps of fat, which is sick back in those days because you're loving it. Um, He not only longs for, but is satisfied and then over-satisfied, like God is better than anything he could have hoped for. So there's nothing worse than thirsting for something, than having it let you down having unrealistic ideas about something that will satisfy. Like a movie recently that like everyone talked up and was like, this is the best, this is the best, 21 Jump Street. And it, like, it was good. But it, like up here, satisfa- satisfaction was down here. It was not as good as everyone said, you know? Or eating Maccas when you're hungry and then you just feel sick after and you're like, uh oh. should have seen that coming 27th time this week. It just doesn't satisfy, right? Um, God is not like that. So how can we apply this idea of satisfaction? We are in a covenant relationship promised by God as well. We are assured of our salvation through what Jesus has done. We have everything we need from God in Jesus. We have ultimate satisfaction in God. If David could only like glimpse at the future and see what you guys have today, he would at least write a song about it and it would be Psalm 151. Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. If you're a Christian, you're satisfied and that is awesome. You can't get any more satisfied. Learn this stuff. Know it and trust it. If you don't feel satisfied, which I think happens to a lot of us, Kind of go in and out. Um, Keep reading, keep learning, keep understanding, keep reminding. Um, We can see David's satisfaction. He praises God with his lips in verse 5. He trusts God in everything from 7 to 10. If you read that story, it's kind of just him trusting God with his enemies and what's going to happen. So what do you trust in? Because that can tell you a lot. Do you trust in yourself to please God? I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You have zero assurance and zero satisfaction in God. If you trust in Jesus to do everything for you, um, your assurance is guaranteed and your satisfaction is full. Satisfied. So let's move on. Third thing, third and last, is that this psalm shows us that when we need God, which is our first thing, and then are satisfied by him, then we have heaps of reasons to rejoice in him like a step. makes sense. Verse 11, the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him. So it makes logical sense, I reckon. If we thirst for God to have that then satisfied by God, then I feel like the only thing left to do is rejoice in that, rejoice in who made it all happen, which is God. So let's go back to 21 Jump Street. Let's imagine that it was as good as Hot Rod and it was better than Anchorman and it was the best comedy of all time and then I went and saw it and it was and it was even better somehow yeah I don't know imagine if that happened I can't even imagine it um yeah I'd just be completely satisfied hey I'd be like that was the best I can't believe what they said actually came true um so what are you going to do next what am I going to do next I'm going to go rejoice and love it up I saw um actually saw John Hanlon doing this the other day I was at a party with him and Jackson's Stakes just got out of the Avengers, and he called him. And John was just, like, enabling Jackson to rejoice in the movie. He was just like, oh, yeah, and that bit, it, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was sick. And you could tell Jackson was just on the other end, just, like, straight out of the cinema, just loving it. Um, that's kind of what we do, we rejoice. I think it's something Hazy said last week as well. A big part of being satisfied is rejoicing in it. Um, And it's evidence of being satisfied as well. If I'm pumping up 21 Jump Street like everyone was to me, then it's evident that they loved it and rejoicing in it. So if we trust in God for our satisfaction, we can rejoice in Him. So we need to be careful that we're actually thirsting for God as David was and being satisfied in Him and not the stuff that He might give you. So one danger... um, that we can have is confusing the gift, right? The gift down here with the giver. So the giver gives the gifts. And we can have, fall into danger of putting our faith into the gift rather than the giver. But what happens when that gift's taken away? It's pretty bad. You, all of a sudden you've got nothing to do. Um, David's thirst is for God, the giver, not for God to take him out of the desert, but for God Himself. Keeps important difference. It's almost like you know, the physics for you guys out there, keen beans. It's like putting your faith in an apple to hit the ground, right? This apple, trusting that's going to hit the ground. That's sick. Without putting your faith in what's behind it, which is gravity, right? So while the apple's there and it's falling, everything will look good. There's no problems. Take the apple away and you're just like, oh, what is going on? You're, you're not. Gravity's still there, guys. It worked. The illustration works, trust me. Just think about it. Okay? No, you've got to put your faith in what's behind. Put your faith in gravity, which is always... Yes, it works, Hannah. Anyway, <laughs> not the apple, which could be there, could not. Right? Gravity still exists. Trust me. All right. So, let's wrap it up. What does it all mean? Psalm 63. Um, maybe you feel like you need something in life, you're looking for something but you don't really know. Um, You're looking for satisfaction, happiness in all sorts of things like parties, boys, girls. But it's always the case with talks like this and it's cliche but it's true, is that what we really need is God and God satisfies and God is the only thing that can satisfy. Life can be pretty horrible, uh, it can be heaps of hardships, heaps of tough times struggling but even in the worst situations we have something to rejoice in and that's the promises that God's given us. Um, maybe you're a Christian but you're drifting. Uh, you can feel yourself losing focus of the awesome stuff God's done for you or perhaps losing some satisfaction in those things. It's coming a bit bland. Um Like all things and all parts of our relationship with God, he's the giver and the sustainer. Um, I hope that you're not trusting in yourself to remain a Christian. Um, It's kind of a weird kind of turn of thoughts to think about, but it's totally true. God gives us everything with our relationship with him. So it makes sense that we should, if you're in this spot, to ask God uh, to give you thirst, ask him to help you be satisfied in the truths that you know. Um, ask him for a desire for him and ask him for joy to rejoice. I'm heaps sure he will answer such prayers. And finally, finish with this, if you're not a Christian, I can, all I can say is that you're missing out And the one true thing that can truly satisfy. I reckon you're going to spend your life looking for things to satisfy, perfect job, perfect family, house, traveling. Uh, It doesn't exist. We're in a broken world and you're not going to be satisfied. So I'm telling you, the only thing that can satisfy is God. I'm telling you right here and right now, take that from this and um, yeah, get on board. I might just pray for us to finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the things that we can learn about you and about ourselves from it. Uh, Lord, help us to thirst for you when you seem distant, uh, when we're undergoing trials, um, hardships, and just generally bad luck all around. Um, Help us to focus on you in those times, and Lord, help us to be satisfied in your promises. Um, Lord, we know that we're satisfied, and help us feel it. Thank you for what you've done in Jesus. And just pray that you'll keep us rejoicing forever. In your son's name, amen.